Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. I'll be reading through chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3, verse 6 in Mark. And you can find it in the pews, page 992. One Sabbath, Jesus was walking through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In these days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for priests to eat and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Put your hands together for Brody. Way to go, buddy. Takes a, it takes a lot of courage read the scriptures, but we love having lots of different voices up here, including all ages. Well, today, uh, well, if I haven't met you, my name's Josh, and uh, if you're visiting with us, we'd love to just welcome you and invite you to fill out the little connect card on the bottom of your bulletin that you got on the way in. You can just leave that on the pew, and we'll, uh, we'd love to follow up with you, get to know your story and all that. Um, King Jesus is talking about the Sabbath today. Uh, and it's a topic that I find very, very interesting. Uh, it's, I've had a lot of fascinating conversations throughout my ministry with people who hate the Sabbath, who love the Sabbath, all kinds of different things. Uh, a few years ago, Camille and I started practicing the Sabbath real intentionally. And what worked in our schedule uh, with you know, pastor life, it was to, pa- was to Sabbath from Thursday evening until Friday evening. And there was a, a Sabbath that came a, a while back, about a year and a half ago, that was just uh, came at the end of a real tough week. Uh, just some heavy stuff going on in our lives. But the, the cool thing about Sabbath is that it comes no matter what kind of week you're having. 
And so Sabbath began, we, we have this little tradition where we, we light two Sabbath candles uh, on our table before we eat. One candle stands for rest, the other candle stands for delight. And we ask our kids, why do we rest on the Sabbath? Uh, because Jesus is king and he's in control and we can trust him. Why do we delight on the Sabbath? Because Jesus is good and created good things for us to enjoy. Uh, and then we ate and pretty much just took the kids in and went to bed ourselves because we were, we were just kind of tapped. It had been that kind of week. And I woke the next morning, unfortunately not in some kind of Sabbath bliss, but just in a fog of angst and confusion and just soul weariness that I felt like I didn't even really understand. And I, you know, I was kind of wrestling with feeling like a fraud because here we are trying to like cultivate Sabbath and I just felt miles away from the rest and delight that we had tried to, you know, uh, acknowledge when we lit the candles the night before. And, but uh, breakfast is always there for you on the Sabbath. So we made a big old breakfast feast and then uh, got out my guitar to play some worship songs with the kids. And I got to this verse in the hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior, that says, when he comes, our glorious King, all our ransomed home to bring, then anew the song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. And I got to the line, ransomed home to bring and just completely broke down, like ugly grown man sobbing and crying. Just all the emotions that had kind of been built up over the, this, this tough week uh, just caught up with me and, and the longing to be brought home by my king flooded my heart. And of course the kids were like, or dad's allowed to cry. <laughs> like, what do we do? Dad's crying. But it was sweet. Camille had the kids all come and give me a hug and let, let me cry. And it was just such a restorative moment. I felt, felt healed. I felt these, these places in my soul that were feeling all warped and shriveled by, by the, the pain of the week and ultimately underneath the events of the week, my lifelong struggle with the lie that it's all on me. Uh, finally came to the surface and was met with the truth that Jesus is King and will bring me home. In the space of Sabbath and the simplicity of an early bedtime, a slow morning with family, singing some hymns on the couch, my heart had, had the opportunity to remember the reality that Jesus is the King and I don't have to be in control. The hope that God has set before us in his word that he will come back He's preparing a place for us. And my true home is with God and his kingdom forever. Sabbath can be a gift like this. It can be this 24 hour period where we allow our souls and our emotions to catch up with our bodies and we remove distractions so that we can rest and delight and be healed by the truth and presence of God. It's, it's been an invaluable rhythm for Camille and me and our, our marriage. Uh, but we see in our teaching text that the Sabbath, like any gift from God, can become a demanding overlord with people like Sabbath police running around, getting mad at people, picking fights about rules, picking fights that even lead to a murder conspiracy. Like how do we go from this day of rest to conspiring to kill someone? We see that in our text. So it's kind of an intense passage. So brace yourself. Uh, but the main idea for us this morning is that when it comes to Jesus as King, we have two options. Will Jesus will allow Jesus to kill our demanding overlords and restore us, 
or we will want to kill Jesus to protect our demanding overlords. There's just not, not middle ground when it comes to Jesus. We'll see Jesus as king with absolute authority, which means that, that he will kill our other lords, our other allegiances, and then by doing that, restore us to f- full humanity, or will, we will want to kill Jesus to protect our overlords and keep the status quo doing. To say it even more bluntly, because Jesus is Lord, because he makes absolute claims to divine authority, something has to die. It sounds dramatic, but that's, that's what, what our text is. What are the last two words of our passage? Kill Jesus. That's where it ends. It is a, it is a, a dramatic, intense text. The three things we're gonna look at, see the Sabbath as a gift, what it was meant to be, the shriveled Sabbath, and then the Sabbath healing. That's kind of the outline if you're, if you're taking notes. So let's, let's dive in. If you haven't turned there yet, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verse 23 that Brody read for us. Let me just read the first two verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 3. One Sabbath, when Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And skip down to three, chapter three, verse one and two. Another time Jesus went into a synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, to really understand everything that's going on in this passage, we have to unpack from scripture what the Sabbath was all about. It was a huge deal uh, in Jesus's day. Um, for, to be a first century Jewish person living in Israel meant everyone observed the Sabbath on the same day. Uh, there's actually a time in human history that I've read about. I wasn't alive for it here in our country uh, where everything was closed on Sunday. Like you couldn't go to stores and buy food because everything was closed. And it was like that, but way more intense back in Jesus's day. There was no buying or selling or traveling or anything. And this is all flowing out of the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures uh, that we have and that would have been their entire uh, Bible back then. Sabbath was foundational to the Jewish understanding of reality, understanding of how they related to God and understood their identity. It was closely connected to their identity as God's people. We're gonna flip around a little bit here. So get your fingers ready. Uh, We're looking scripture to unpack uh, that a little bit more about the Sabbath. So uh, grab uh, your Bibles and flip to Genesis. You can leave your finger in Mark 2 and flip to Genesis chapter 2. I got this handy Bible with three of these little ribbon thingies. Uh, makes it very convenient for, for marking spots. Uh, hopefully you can figure something out. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Again, I just, my desire in having you flip around is not to Jesus juke you or waste your time, but just so you can see for yourself what is in Scripture that I'm not making this up. Genesis 2. Verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
right? In the very, very beginning of all that exists, we see God resting after six days of work. And what's fascinating is that he's blessing not a person or a place, but a day, a time, a reoccurring period of time that he is marking as holy, which means uh, a lot of things, but in particular for our discussion here, it means set apart. To say it another way, one of the commentators said, a Sabbath is a temple in time. I love that. A temple was a, was a geographical place, as actual physical space on earth that you could go into where the presence of God dwelt. And here we see that the Sabbath is another dynamic of that, where it's a, it's a temple in time. It's a, a holy space on the calendar rather than on a map. It's a holy space on the calendar in time where humans could be with God. Also in the passage in Genesis, we see God stopping. He ceased from his labor and rested from it. And that's what Shabbat means in Hebrew. The word for Sabbath in Hebrew means stopping, ceasing. God ceased from his labors, not because he was worn out, but because he had finished and he delighted in his work. And what this passage shows us right here at the beginning before any sin, any rebellion, any, any a fallout from the fall is a six and one rhythm of work and rest that is woven into the creation order, into the fabric of the universe and receives God's divine blessing. Hold myself back. A lot more we could say about that. We're trying to stay on, on manuscripts so we don't stay here all day. Flip over to Exodus 20. We see the importance of the Sabbath repeated and this, this little minor part of scripture that they call the 10 commandments. Exodus 20, flip there. We're almost done flipping. You guys are doing great. Look at verse eight. This is the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." One commentator pointed out that alone of the 10 commandments, number four, the Sabbath commandment is rooted in the order of creation, the, the fabric of the universe that God worked into creation that flows out of his very being as something he did. To Israel with these, these laws, Sabbath along with circumcision were the two primary things given by God to mark Israel as his beloved people, as his chosen uh, inheritance. God chose Israel from all the peoples of the earth and instituted the Sabbath as an eternal sign of blessing uh, of Israel's unique identity as his beloved. You don't have to turn here, but Ezekiel 20, 12 says this really bluntly. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. It's a sign, it's a gift from God that he gives to his beloved as a sign to point them back to him. Good, I think we're done flipping for now. You can flip back to Mark 2 and we'll stay there. 
This is what Jesus is getting at in verse 27 when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift that God gave to his people to remind them who they are, that, I, that, that they're beloved, that they're chosen, that they're under the care of his steadfast love. So one day, one 24-hour period every week was set apart to remember these holy truths of who God is, who they are, and what he has promised to do for them. It's interesting, the Ten Commandments come in the book of Exodus, which is the story of God's people being freed from what? Slavery, centuries of slavery where they didn't get a Sabbath, where their identity was being slaves of the Egyptian people working seven days a week. And so they're freed from slavery and given these laws, these commands to remind them of who they are. They were given the gift of the Sabbath to remind them. And I hope you could see how massive this practice was to first century Jews, in particular the Pharisees, whose job it was to understand and live out and help others understand and live out their identity as God's people. It was, Sabbath was an unbelievably precious gift that they had received from God that marked their identity as his beloved. So they're not totally wrong in taking the Sabbath seriously, but this is where it goes all wrong. This is where we see the shriveling of the Sabbath, the shriveled Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath holy set apart was, it, was the commanded principle. When you look at the God-given law, uh, what it says about Sabbath is, is, is from God, commanded, uh, but the specifics are not in there from God. So in an effort to do that, to make it holy, keep it set apart, devoted to God, there were volumes of writings and teachings and bonus rules for how to do that and what you could and could not do. Uh, in Jesus's day, there were 39 melakot, 39 39 things you are not allowed to do according not to scripture, but to the tradition of the elders. Uh, they're up there on the screen. I'm not gonna read them all. Uh, I just put them on the slide, copied and pasted them on the slide because they're, they're kind of crazy. They're, there's a ton of it and you see the weight of it. So in both of these stories, we see Jesus coming up against not the fourth commandment from scripture, but instead uh, these man-made guidelines for how to keep the Sabbath. Now, both of these stories show us this, how this precious God-given gift, this temple in time to rest and delight in who God is and our identity as his beloved children had been distorted and shriveled the humanity of the very people it was meant to bless and restore. It had become a demanding overlord. The Sabbath had been Lord over them rather than being the gift that God designed it to be. No longer was it a day where they were able to rest and to connect with God in ways that they could not the other six days while they were working. Now it was controlling, heavy-handed, and focused way more on the negative, on what you couldn't do rather than what you got to do on the Sabbath or what you could do on the Sabbath. The very thing that was supposed to soften their hearts as they remembered their identity as God's children, as they remembered how dependent they were, how God was running the universe and not them had instead shriveled their hearts and twisted their identity because they had to figure out how to do it right. 
And their identity was not as God's people, but their identity was more in keepers of a particular type of Sabbath and, and lots of other traditions um, beyond the Sabbath. The best image I could think of uh, that, that shows us visually the, the shriveling that happens from something destroying us, like loving something to the point where it destroys us is Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's not a perfect analogy. So if you're a Lord of the Rings scholar in the room, one, let's get coffee and talk. Two, don't think about it too hard. But just as a visual, Gollum, the character Gollum begins as a normal little person called a hobbit who plays, walks in the woods and goes fishing with his friends and the sunshine enjoying trees and the river and all these things. But then his friend finds a ring and Smeagol, uh, Gollum's original name, kills his friend to get the ring. And over the centuries, over time, he becomes obsessed with it and it ruins him, changes his name to Gollum, this terrible sound he makes when he's like dry heaving on how much he loves the ring. And it leaves him alone in a dark, cold cave muttering about his precious. That's what I want us to see is what, is what happens to all of us, not just the Pharisees in here, but all of us when we take a gift from God and begin to obsess about the gift and lose sight of the gift giver. It kills the relationship that the gift was meant to grow and it shrivels our entire being. I don't know many of us here who are too serious about the Sabbath. Uh, so let's consider some other gifts, good gifts from God that are meant to show us who he is, how he loves us and who we are as his children uh, and then how those gifts could potentially shrivel our souls. Consider parenting, it's kind of my life right now. Uh, becoming a dad has been one of the most powerful ways that God has drawn me deeper into the experience of me him being his beloved son and him being my father. Like it just felt scandalously powerful that the, the love that came over me when Johnny was born and only grew as Ruby and Isla joined the family. Like, I can't not sing about my kids. Like it annoys Camille, the songs don't rhyme, they're a little off pitch or whatever. I just can't not sing these ridiculous, repetitive songs. And, and what comes to mind is the verse in Sephaniah where it says, it says that God will rejoice over me with singing. That God rejoices over people he loves with singing. How can it be? How, how can this overpowering love I feel towards my kid just be a hint of the shadow of God's love towards me in Christ? But then can parenthood become a demanding overlord that shrivels our souls? Could it cause me to lose sight of the fact that I am a as a father am first a son of God? Yes, it can, parenting can become a way that we define ourselves a way that I excuse spending time with God because there's always something the kids need. So ways that we justify ourselves, make ourselves seem okay, uh, acceptable in our own eyes. Like, are we winning at life? How are my kids doing? Did they charm and dazzle people at the grocery store or did they have a meltdown and have to be dragged out to the van in shame, speaking for a friend? Do we become grumbly parents who complain about our kids, even, even as we like struggle to, to hire a babysitter or you know, get, an get a night away, overnight 
trip away because, you know, we, we feel guilty of leaving them or we don't want to be a bad mom or dad. And so we let the, the gift of parenthood begin to be our demanding overlord, defining us, controlling us, shriveling our hearts, our marriage until, you know, we, we can end up lonely people in an empty house with a cold marriage, just waiting for grandkids to come along who need us again. Do you see how something as beautiful as God given as family could be twisted and shriveled and be, and, and be a demanding overlord? Or another one, consider serving in the church. I don't know what this sounds like to you, but I love doing things. <laughs> I love being a part of God's work in the world. And, and this happens all the time to pastors, the church staff, volunteers. Uh, we get the gift of participating in God's work in the world. It's an incredible, it's an incredible honor uh, to uh, being humans that not only are forgiven, brought back into life with God, but that we get to contribute. We're given gifts to contribute to God's work in the world. It's beautiful to share God with lost people, share the good news of grace, the guilt-ridden, burdened people, to share the abundant life Jesus came to offer to people who are lost and stuck in ways of living that are destroying them. But if we begin to define ourselves, not as beloved children of God who get to join our father in his work in the world as part of the family business, but instead we define ourselves by our ministries, it will shrivel our souls to where this terrible paradox happens. It happens, it happens all the time with pastors. It's something I have to always be on guard of, that we become grumpy, anxious people even as we're trying to tell people about the joy in knowing the Prince of Peace where like our presence and our experience is like a complete contradiction to our message. My point is it's easy to rag on the Pharisees. It's easy to see them as the bad guys and be like, well, I don't practice the Sabbath at all. So I guess I'm free and clear. But the point of this is that we often, all of us do the exact same thing. I mean, to some degree, you could say at the core of what it means to be a sinful human, have, have a heart broken by sin is that we take, we are compulsive, we compulsively take God's good gifts and we make them overlords or scripture would call them idols. We might not have a little shrine or a totem pole in our yard, but we have things that we would serve other than God and they shrivel our souls. And Jesus in our text here is saying he is Lord, period. Chapter two, verse 28 says, so the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. To the people who had taken the gift of Sabbath and made it Lord, he's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the true King, the true Lord over the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to point to me. And to us, he might say, I am Lord, even of your kids. I am Lord, even of your food. I am Lord, even of your work. I am Lord even of your money. I am Lord even of your sexuality. Abraham Kuyper says it like this. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, as we've said, when we worship the gift and not the giver, it shrivels us. 
let's ask the question, what will Jesus, the Lord of even the Sabbath, the Lord of even every aspect of our existence, what will he do with these shriveled parts of us, the parts that we've allowed to be shriveled as we served demanding overlords? Mark gives us an incredibly, incredibly beautiful story of healing and murder side by side. Look at uh, chapter three. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some were looking for a reason to accuse. So they, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So we have this amazing scene where Jesus just having revealed himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, the, the, he revealed himself as the whole point to this millennia old practice of, of, of the Sabbath given by the almighty God himself is now in the place where God's people gather on a Sabbath. And we have this man with a shriveled hand who would have been on the margins of society, probably very poor because he wouldn't have been able to work much and in, in the pop theology that was common in this day and age, unbiblical theology, uh, he probably would have been considered unclean or a sinner because uh, disability and infirmity, was, sickness was seen as a punishment for sin. So he probably would have been, uh, felt like an outcast. And you can just imagine the state of his soul, lonely and ashamed, longing, full of longing. And yet here he is on a Sabbath, drawing near to God in the way he knows how, gathering with God's people to hear the scriptures read. And the Lord of the Sabbath happens to be there. See him lurking on the back wall and to call him to the front, to the light. And also in the room, we have the Pharisees who are the other end of the spectrum, the winners, the respectable people, the professional God people with power and influence and wealth. And that Greek word that says the Pharisees wanted to accuse Jesus has legal, legal connotations, like they were building a legal case. And can we just let our hearts break this picture of the Pharisees' heart that to the Pharisees' shriveled hearts, this disabled man, this image bearer of God had been reduced to just a pawn in their scheme to develop a case against Jesus. And Jesus' question, as always, is brilliant and heart-piercing. Verse 4, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Let's we'll stop there. Jesus asked this question, seeking to kill their overlord, seeking to pierce through all the crusty religious junk that had shriveled their souls and exposed their shriveled souls by how the particulars of Sabbath observance have so completely lost the point that they would want this man, this image bearer of God, this child of God to stay disabled. And they're silent. They know they've been got, that Jesus has them. They don't have anything to say. Because if they say, no, the Sabbath is for doing harm, of course they look like fools. And if they say, yeah, it's for doing good, then they're undermining the 39 no-nos that they've been enforcing for all of their lives and for generations, showing that there is something more than the particular extra biblical way that they practice the Sabbath. And it's so significant, man, we could probably spent our whole time just talking about this, the emotion words we see around Jesus. Anytime scripture gets us a little glimpse into the emotions going on in the heart of our King, it's, 
definitely worth slowing down and chewing on. What was Jesus feeling as he faced the shriveled souls of the Pharisees? Anger and sadness, anger and distress. And I've used, translates it distress, sadness or grief. Can we, can we let this show us the heart of God, that Jesus is showing the heart of God towards sin? And so important to hold both of these emotions together. You know, all of our emotions flow from the being of God. Like we are his image bearers. That's why we have emotions. They're not like separate from God or something. He's like, whoa, I didn't think they, they would have emotions like that. But what we see is towards sin, God's heart has anger. We can't escape that if we're reading our Bibles that we would blaspheme the true King, the true Lord by serving these soul shriveling overlords in the language of kingdom, which is all the language of the gospel of Mark. This is high treason, pledging our allegiance to something other than the one true King. We not, might not be like putting our hands on our heart and saying words, but our, our money, our time, our words, everything would show our allegiance to something other than Jesus but he's also sad. He's not just in a rage. He's angry and grieved. He's heartbroken that the Pharisees and that you and I would miss out on the joy and the, the healing, the restoration of knowing Jesus as the one true King of all, the giver of all the gifts. This is a powerful charged moment. He asked this question. It's met with silence. Jesus is looking, looking around angry and sad. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He calls him out of the shadows in front of everyone, in front of Jesus himself. And he says, hold out the part of you that you're most ashamed of. The disability that's defined so much of your identity and existence up until this point in life. The thing that this man most fears is before him. It's a choice. He can refuse Jesus, spare himself the risk of humiliation and exposure. But if he does that, he will be no different than the Pharisees who refuse to open themselves up to Jesus as the King, as Lord of all, Lord of the Sabbath. Or he can risk faith and act on Jesus's commands. And in humble obedience to the Lord of all, the Lord of the Sabbath, the man obeys. He stretches out his hand and it's restored. So friend, if you're here today, then King Jesus, the Lord of even the Sabbath, even your parenthood, even every aspect of your life, he loves you too much to leave you shriveled in, in the shadows. In love, he wants to draw you out into the light draw out the shriveled parts of your soul and heal them. And the question is, will you let him, will you let him expose those shriveled parts of your soul? That is what is required to receive healing through obedience to Jesus. To be clear, we don't heal ourselves. Jesus will do all the work. Our part is to come, to obey, to say yes to stretch out the shriveled, shameful parts of ourselves and offer up to him stuff, the stuff that has control over our lives, the things we've pledged allegiance to and allowed to twist our lives and let him restore us to our full humanity.
what's the what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What what is coming to mind? What part of your life, part of your humanity, is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind? Saying this is the shriveled part. This is the part that is is your demanding overlord. What part do you want to keep? You know, keep hiding, keep hiding in your cloak, away from Jesus. The tricky thing is, is we could offer Jesus a lot of things, but not all the things. There's probably a lot that all of us here today have offered to Jesus, but is there something we're holding back? If you don't wanna experience this exposure, this vulnerability, holding these tender parts of our lives before Jesus, and there's another option. Look at verse six. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The other option is to kill Jesus. The man with the shriveled hand obeys the Lord of the Sabbath and he's restored to his full humanity. And the Pharisees reject Jesus' lordship, reject him as king, and then they partner with their sworn enemies, the Herodians, people who were diametrically opposed to every, everything about them everything about the, the Pharisees in order to find a way to kill Jesus. It just, kill, it just kills me, pierces me every time. The last words that they might kill Jesus. Already less than a quarter of a way through this gospel, people are from both ends of the spectrum are trying to kill Jesus. We have the super religious, the super rule followers, the, the church people, the people that have the Bible memorized want to kill Jesus. And then the Herodians, which we don't have time to go into a lot, uh, were, were the other end, just totally worldly Roman rulers <laughs> that uh, were just playing games with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of unbiblical things. Uh, they wanted the same thing. Jesus was a threat to both of their ways of life. And they do kill Jesus. Spoiler alert. The, this, this murder conspiracy that we see the beginnings of here is successful. And what we have to be honest about and consider is that all of us in our sin and rebellion have killed the king, have killed Jesus. It is a hard fact to embrace that Jesus was nailed to a cross But the extraordinary grace and power of God is that he uses this murder conspiracy. He uses all the scheming and efforts of his enemies to flip the the script. And he uses Jesus's death on the cross to exalt him as king, king over sin and death and brokenness. And he raised Jesus back to life as the king of kings who's taken away the penalty for our high treason, for our rebellion. He's taken that into himself. So now we can come to the king with our shriveled, rebellious hearts and receive grace and healing. This is the the glory of the gospel, friends. It's the, the worst news you've ever heard and the best news you've ever heard. So how can we come to Jesus? How can we come to the crucified, resurrected Lord of the Sabbath? So that if we, if we want to, if we want our, the shriveled parts of our hearts and lives to be healed, he will do that. Well, the invitation I wanna put before you this week is to consider a temple in time. Like literally create a space, you could call it that on your Google calendar, 
uh, a space on your calendar called a temple of time that's holy and set apart to the Lord. It can look a lot of different ways, but the idea is to have space to be with Jesus, to surrender to him specific areas where that the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind where you might feel shriveled. For some of us, it might be putting space on the calendar to, to meet with some brothers and sisters to, to confess our overlords. Like maybe you've been hiding in the shadows. You need to bring your church family into it. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about that. For others of us, it might be time alone to listen carefully to what the spirit is telling you. I think letting Jesus be Lord over our shriveled selves is going to look like distancing ourself, ourselves from those overlords and holding, holding them out to him. Like, I, I know my heart is not okay with how I'm feeling about my kids or how I'm feeling about my money. I don't, it's not okay. I don't know what to do. It's like controlling my thoughts. I'm talking about it too much. Will you help me? It's gonna look like a practical, and then it will look like a practical next step. And if you're not sure, one way to experience the Lord of the Sabbath is to actually practice the Sabbath as the gift God meant it to be originally, uh, 24 hours a week to stop and delight and rest in who we are as God's children. Just like the Sabbath I mentioned at the beginning, you know, a year or so back, the, these emotions and shriveled parts of my heart were able to come out and be restored by the truth of the gospel just by giving it space, these simple rhythms. I, I could have been mowing the lawn or running errands or just Netflix binging or whatever and missed out, you know, missed out on the space to receive from God. And Sabbath, if you're like, I don't know which part of my life is withered, I, I actually think I'm good. I think I'm the one person that doesn't have any shriveled parts in my heart. Um, that might be true, um, but it's probably not. And the Sabbath can be a helpful diagnose, diagnostic tool. Like you might not think that you're that anxious or you might not think you're driven by guilt, as long as you're busy and entertained and doing things, but come into a day of rest and stuff gets exposed. You try making a sandcastle with your friends and just the grumpiness and frustration comes out. You're on, a por on the porch with coffee and your Bible, the sun's coming up, the sweet unhurried time. And instead of soaking in the goodness of God, you start shooting all over yourselves. Do you know this? Where you're saying shoulds and nots just settle upon you. I should be mowing the lawn to be a better neighbor. I should have followed up with this person. I should, be I should be doing this. I should be doing this. I should be doing this instead of just letting God be God and enjoying the coffee and the sunrise and the scriptures. And so there you are in the Sabbath exposing that stuff and you have time to hold it before the Lord of the Sabbath and let him heal you, let him make you whole. You stretch out the guilt that leaves you enslaved to other people's demands. Stretch out the, 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 the shriveling fear of what other people think about you. So we can't say no. We get all grumpy and bitter. Stretch out the fear of not having enough. That, that gets exposed when we work less. Like you could be making more money if you, instead of resting. And the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the way the murder conspiracy was flipped on its head is that there's no shame or guilt in any of that exposure. It's all covered in grace. And so a 24 hour period to rest and delight is a gift that can expose and heal the shriveled parts of our soul. It's a chance to say yes to Jesus as Lord Yes to Jesus 
that becomes a firm no to our demanding overlords. I feel like this isn't talked about a lot in our day and age. Like to say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to a lot of other things. And friend, Jesus is king. He's Lord of all, and he's a king who heals and restores with his presence. So will you come to him and experience it? Let me pray. Father, we praise you for being uh, the gift giver. Praise you for the gift of Sabbath, uh, this thing that you've woven into our created existence. Uh, We praise you for uh, the, the way that you are able to move towards us even as we are all guilty of high treason against the one true king. Father, would there be just a powerful spirit of conviction and grace over us in our hearts now as we sing? Would you bring to mind without shame or guilt what we've done, what allegiances we've done other than Jesus? Would it feel like good news to see them and be able to offer them to our king and be healed? Father, may we be people uh, who aren't shriveled in our hearts, but instead have soft, tender hearts that love to follow King Jesus and share that love with others for your glory. In his name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.